What's Lucky Boys Podcast? Welcome to Lucky Boys Podcast. I'm Will. And I'm Norm. And we have a very special guest today Alan King, aka Alan Chung, CEO and founder of luxury apparel brand A Kings. Welcome. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. So good to have you. Thank you for having us in your showroom here in the Garment District. Definitely. Yeah. Really happy you guys can make it out here. Welcome to the showroom. Yeah. Thanks for inviting us here. You know, as soon as I came in, I was like, whoa, this is very interesting. The the clothing, it's it's definitely uh, stylish and it makes a a statement as soon as, you know, my eyes just completely gravitate towards the colors, the texture, and some of the style. It doesn't seem like old right i didn't know what to expect but it definitely seems more futuristic yeah. is and i think that's what you're going for right yeah uh, what inspires the look so we actually think of it like a uh, future wear like but timeless and a lot of it is um it's very different styles right there's different because if you think about new york city there's a lot of different dialogues of people right so there's like brooklyn new york like midtown les chinatown then you have um Uptown, like Harlem, Bronx, things like that, and uh, Staten Island, and all of these cultures are, you know, mixed. Like whether you're Italian or Chinese, and um, all of these different backgrounds, like Black, Spanish, and um, everybody has a different style. So uh, I, I think me growing up in New York was a huge influence of of how our clothing is designed because it's it's like uh, New York's like that melting pot. So our clothing has like all these different uh, references from all these different places you know um and that would probably be why sometimes like some people may feel like oh it's kind of a little random but it's really like hey like if you look at the lifestyle of new yorkers uh you know we're so much like we're so fluid you know we have like oh like the gym wear and then we can go uh wear a pair of jeans and then we'll wear like a trouser um it's like a very uh the the lifestyles of so many different new yorkers are so different it's not like any other city so I think that's why, like, sometimes for some people, they're like, oh, like, well, this is so much going on. But it's really just like, hey, this is just how New York's lifestyle is. Typically, what type of people do you see um, gravitating towards your style of clothing? I, I think it's a lot of people that want to uh, be first, you know, and they, they want to stand out a little bit. But they're not really like, hey, I'm going to be uh, the most flamboyant person on the street. But they want to stand out and they feel like the uh, you know, what, what you wear is what represents you. Alan, I got to tell you, man, some of these, I mean, it's real dope. So I could see like the colors. It's, uh, uh you have a lot of different textures, even though like, for, for example, I see like right over here, uh, and I'll try to describe this for those listening. Uh, it, it's, it's a racket, uh, full of, uh, it's all black, but yeah. it's different types of blacks. It's different textures. It's different cuts, uh, do you go for that dark look or is that just one line that you want to get covered? I think black is like the most comfortable color for sure. You know, and it's, uh, there's so many different shades and there's so many different materials you can use, um, to create different looks. Right. So, uh, it, it's, it's definitely, a a color or like a, uh, that I really gravitate towards. But, um, recently I've definitely been experimenting with more colors and, uh it's been but i think new york is just you know it's like everybody down the street is just wearing black right right style especially during the colder months like now oh yeah and and over there though across from me and and because i'm looking at you i get distracted because there's just so much vibrancy and colors like i would i would say it's opposite of this rack right here where it's 
a little more loud. It's definitely a statement. If you're, if I'm meeting up with my friends or I'm walking into a room, I'm making a statement with this. Yeah, so I think it's it's kind of the idea that you can blend both, right? So you can have like uh, like every day, but then also like, hey, you're going out and you need that statement or you want to have that statement. Um, a lot of our audience is like creative too. So, you know, we, um, we think like that representation is so important. And um, the that's why like the loud colors are there. Like, let's say they're performing on stage or, um, you know, you just uh, want to express yourself and, uh, you know, one thing that always stood out to me is like before you even say hi to somebody, right? Before you, that person even smiles to you, it's just what you're wearing. That's what somebody sees. The interesting part I find about this is that prior to us rolling, when, when we were talking earlier, you said you started when you were 15, uh, very small. Yeah. And, and that's how it started the whole journey up until now uh eight years later and you're very young in the game but you found a lot of success how did you go what was that point where you where you said to yourself like wait maybe i can open my own store you know there's an idea but when did that actually come to fruition where you go you know what i need a showroom Mm. in Soho of all places because that's where you got your first store I think for me it's it's always been a visualization process it's always been like if there's something I want I'm, I'm visualizing it and I'm thinking about it and um, Soho was just the dream right like me growing up in New York I would go to Soho all the time like this is like the height of when like Soho was just fashion capital especially in New York and yeah, yeah the fashion um, mecca yeah yeah, like where, you know, like you see, you'll see like ASAP Rocky coming up there, like um, uh, Supreme's like growing up, growing really fast over there. And um, like uh, all the luxury stores are there. And uh, you would just see uh, just people would just go to hang out in Soho. It wouldn't right. even be I like, used to hang out there all the time and do a lot of, uh, it was yeah. like New York City's, our, our con- it's our concrete jungle mall. Yeah, you know, we yeah. just went straight down, up and down yeah, Soho, we Broadway. We don't, we don't have those big ass malls with yeah. those like uh, high ceilings. Yeah, and elevators. Not, like how people bar hop. Yeah. That's that's how we'll we'll shop. You know, we'll yeah. store store hop. You know, yeah. we'll go yeah. and you can go somewhere with a very urban vibe, and then be in Armani. Yeah, you know, you could just keep jumping into these different stores, and and you'll see people there uh, along Broadway with just shopping bags, but it's it's has a range as you were talking about has just different textures uh you know you can see someone with a a bag where where it's a suit store Mm -hmm. and then go and see a more urban wear and then then you would see something that's an athletics and it'll all be in one hand yeah right so i always thought that was fascinating but how how did you just get to that from a 15 year old boy sitting at home to going all right let me just try a few pieces and then growing that into a place where I can do a physical store. For me, it's just, I always thought of it, uh, not so much in terms of the like larger goal, but I was like, hey, like this is what I want to go after, but how do I bring that goal closer, right? Like how do I bring that goal uh, so it's just literally right in front of me? Because sometimes when you look at like, oh, like man, I'm, I'm 15 and um, uh, how can I get the solo store? And you start asking yourself that, uh, you at 15 and you've never done this, there's no way your brain's going to make up a, a how, you know, like a right answer, right? So. Uh, for me, it just started with more like uh, releasing pieces, uh, trying to sell them, and then um, just building up uh, more so the brand and uh, everything before I thought of like uh, building, uh, getting an office space, right? And I think I just uh, always considered how close 
um, as I as I brought the goals closer, so let's say it was like, hey, like I'm gonna release these three or five pieces, and as I brought those goals closer and closer, and I did them, the confidence kind of stacked, right? And I started believing in me uh, more and more and more and more. So uh, I think the stacking of confidence is like probably the biggest thing for somebody starting out. Stacking of confidence, I love yeah. that. Yeah, I, I think stacking of confidence is like you know people uh, when they're starting out they have they don't have the experience and it's kind of like working out in a gym you know it's like you're training that memory and you're training that like wow this is possible so so even if it's just dropping one piece and then two pieces three pieces four eight sixteen um, it, it just got to the point where it was like okay like this is consistent and this is happening and and um, that stacking led to okay let me try to um, just get like a little office in Soho and and for me it was just Soho was just the dream location. And um, when I did that, actually, it was a co-working space because I was like, hey, like, well, uh, I'm not completely sure this is going to work. Right. But I'm going to get my foot in here and try. And and it definitely felt like a huge stretch. And it was like, oh, man, like, uh, um, is this going to work? Like, am I just like wasting money? Could I be using this somewhere else? But um, once I did it, it was just something like, man, like I'm never going back. How important the social media plays in the climate? You were telling me something yeah. about... You were, you were coming into this game where uh, when trade shows was making that transition, where it was like yeah. very important to, to, to attend these trade shows and, and, and find buyers, right, and investors. And it's making that transition where it's not as important anymore. And then, then you come to a point where, it's, where the market is completely saturated. How, how did you navigate through all of that? Uh, so I think in terms of social media and importance, I feel like it's the number one tool. You know, it's it's the, like for me, um, I'm a college dropout. So it's like, hey, like social media is my way to reach people and talk to people. Um, you know, it's like there's no better way than what I post and what I do and interact. Uh, I can just do it at scale with so many people. And um, it, it's like if in terms of like trade shows and uh, things like that, it's a lot of buyers now are kind of betting on, hey, will your brand succeed, right? And and they're looking at, will customers back you because they want you to make money for them. You know, they, they're investing in your pieces, they're buying wholesale from you, but they're not just buying it because their clothes are cool. They're like, hey, like this brand will sell. And in order for that brand to sell, you know, they have to know like this brand is strong and they have their own customer base. and. Uh, my customer is going to recognize it and believe in this product and believe in the brand and, and, you know, be willing to spend money on it. So, um, especially for new brands coming up, it's like, I think that growing your own following, growing your own social media is probably the most important thing. Um, because, uh, you, then you have the backing, right? Where they'll like stores will start coming to you. Like, um, last week we just opened two new store accounts and, um, that those were accounts that just called us up and they're like, Hey, like, you know, we want to stock your store, like stock you in our store, right? Like, how can we do wholesale with you? Um, let's do some business. And that was from just, you know, like one of our first accounts in LA, that was literally just uh, a customer walks into the store and is like, hey, um, they, they were like, I think the owner is trying to sell him some jeans and it was like $600 or something like that. And the guy was like, the customer was like, hey, like, wait, I wouldn't pay $600 for these. I would, I would pay $600 for the pair of jeans I'm wearing and they're only 300, you know? And uh, the store owner's like, oh, like, what, what, what is that brand? And looks us up on Instagram and hey. basically, yeah. <laughs> wow. 
Yeah. So I think like that's like super powerful to have like mm-hmm. yeah. um, an, an audience like and, and like especially like customers that are, you know, like uh, especially like to, you know, promote you. Um, that's what happens with social media versus um, betting on the store. You know, it's like there's pros and cons, you know, if you can sell to the store immediately, there's there's definitely that. But um, I'm like, wow, like how cool is it that every person that um, is following the brand is um, rooting for the brand to succeed in that way where you know they're like hey like fuck those jeans like oh I don't even know if I'm supposed to curse on this no, no, you're, <laughs> you're, you're, you're good, good man yeah. Yeah, yeah, you're, you're, like you're oh good. like fuck those jeans right like um, I'm not gonna pay $600 for these but if you have uh, eight kings in your store I'll pay for them right and um, there's that demand from, yeah. from, from your customers and, and your right. audience right so they, they ended up calling us up and you know that's how we got a store in LA and I think that's what like social media really does. And, mm. and um, it, it, ha- it allows you to um, more people to work with you. Right. Mm. There's a different platform they can share it to their friends and so on. Now, is there like a learning curve to, to it? Like, did you have to f- feel like, oh, damn, I have to get out my shell because I hear it on both sides. Yeah. I hear some people going, you know what? I got to get out my shell and put myself out there, especially if I'm trying to sell a product or, or build some brand awareness. Versus some people going, oh man, yeah, this is what I'm going to do in this, you know, it is what it is. There's definitely some sort of, um, there's, there's a little bit of both for me at least. Like there's, there's a part of me that just like, uh, shares, uh, shares abundantly. And I'm just like, Hey, like, um, this is what I'm doing. And you know, like this is where, um, this is the journey. And I, I look at it like, uh, one of the most, important phrases that I've ever heard in my life or sayings is like, you know, if your life is worth living, it's worth documenting. So uh, for me, I look at social media as like documentation of my life where uh, I'm like, wow, how cool is it that I can look back at three years and see my early prototypes um, from four or five years ago? Or like, how cool is it that I can see like even my first retail account? Um, uh, you know, and I have like timestamps of like my runways, my, um, my first trade shows, like uh, my first pop-ups. I think that's something that is so precious to me. You know, it's almost like a journal that's out there. And and um, even for the rest of the world to see like, hey, this is everything I've been doing. <laughs> I love the way you phrase that. And I love the way that you approach social media in that context. If if your life is worth living, then it's worth documenting. That is a, a very important f- phrase, especially this day and age with social media having uh, just so much negative negative connotations attached to it um and you are able to utilize it in a way that's positive for yourself for the people that follow you and just to build your brand uh, as a whole now you also use it to reach out to some celebrities so i i've uh i've slid in like every possible dm <laughs> most, most likely so it's like shameless like oh here, here's my here's my stuff like to the point where i figured out when instagram will block you from dms oh <laughs> I, I didn't even know, know, know they possible. can do that yeah um, okay so so i i think it's something where it's like you know with social media you have access to technically everybody right you have an inbox that you um it's and unlike emails it gets checked pretty frequently surprisingly by a lot of people so mm. um even if they don't open and reply to it there are chances that they've probably seen it like um you know, even me, like I'll check my DMs and I don't necessarily reply to every single one, but I'll open some of them, right? Mm-hmm. And I'll reply um, to a set number of them. And I think it's, uh, my thought process was kind of like, this is, uh, what is the worst thing that can happen? 
you know, I, I walk myself through this thing and like the worst thing that could happen is like nobody replies and maybe they see it and nothing, like they're not interested. And they don't say anything. They yeah. don't say anything. Yep. And I, I wasted like two seconds of my life if, I, if that's considered wasting, right? To uh, copy and paste this message. Mm-hmm. So for me, uh, because that was like the worst thing that would happen, I was like, oh, there's nothing to lose really. I just spent 30 minutes, an hour of my time DMing all these people, seeing what works. So the first time I did this, um, I think I, uh, one of the first times I did this, I, I remember I woke up to um, like Ben Baller replying. To, so mm-hmm. that, was, uh, that was something like super shocking where he, he said something along the lines of like, man, like out of 700 DMs I get, um, I barely even open one a day. And I was just like, holy shit, Ben Baller replied. <laughs> and, shit, wow. Um, you know, Very and I was cool. like, this is possible. Like there's other people I can reach. And um, he was super cool about it. Like he was just like, um, yeah, I looked at your site and, you know, um, really respect what you're doing. And like, I love what you're doing. So um, gave me an address, gave me a sizes. And just like, yeah, like, and I, I was just like, oh shit. Like, I, I, man, my website. Oh, I started thinking about all these things right in the back. Like, oh man, like my website. Stacking is- confidence. Right there. <laughs> wait, wait, this, this was before yeah. your, your website, before you had anything? No, this is oh, like, is well, this-, this is like I'm in the time where my website maybe is not necessarily where it is today too. Got it. So I started thinking about like, man, like he's seeing me. I think I was shooting my own e-commerce photos. Like I was modeling some of it. Mm-hmm. I was like, oh man, like this man's watching me uh, uh, model my own photos on my website. <laughs> And it was super cool though. So I just knew like, wow, like this is possible, right? Like I got, I think mm. I, I DM like 50 or hundred people that day. I got three replies. Uh, one of them was Ben Baller. Um, I don't remember exactly which one the other two were, but um, that stood out to me so much that I was like, wow, you know what? Uh, I'm going to just DM as many people as possible, right? And um, and then I did this on a, um, not just celebrity level, actually. Like I, I met some of my uh, best friends and like content creator photographers this way, like videographers, um, we even find like random models sometimes, you know, through there. And it's like, uh, it's like a, a digital phone book, but you have access to everybody. Right? Yeah. We were talking about <laughs> this, um, that yeah. people don't use business cards anymore. It's no. basically their <laughs> I, IG account, you know, Instagram. This is, this is my business card. If you're a creator. Yeah. And or entertainment, yeah, entertainment actor model photographer <laughs> yeah. like it's yeah. or create um an artist mm-hmm. it, it really is your business card and i think it's super cool like i i mean um it's almost like uh i remember so the one friend that actually got me into this is, is uh his name is dizzy and he was like a photographer where uh he, i think he was traveling he was going from la to new york and he just he was dming people that he found on an explore page that um, were making content and things like that and he just saw my page he thought i was a photographer and i had like one hoodie at the time so i think i was in high school like 17 18 and he was like hey man like i'm, I'm coming to new york um i want to shoot i want to shoot some piece like some stuff you know like let's um and I think this is a, this is like years ago. So he has like 20,000 followers, 30,000 followers or something. And I have like, uh, I think like 2000 or 3000 followers. And I'm just like, yeah, like, let's do it. You know, like, let's, let's just meet up. Let's see what happens. And, um, he, he actually is like a really cool dancer and, and, um, he, he's super cool photographer. So he was just showing me. Um, so it, I got exposed to like, Oh, like, this is how social media works kind of through him where he's like, Hey man, like, let's take a photo of this bag. And um, let's tag this bag company because I think they'll feature us for it. So I, I take a photo of his bag. The, com- the bag company features us. And I was like, oh, wow. Like people, people share, you know, reposts. And, and mm-hmm. this is a whole community behind this. Right. As I saw that, it, it just was like, a, this is how 
I can grow and um, be exposed to different kind of platforms and people, right? Like I, uh, he later on ends up a um, couple years later, like two years later, he's like, hey, by the way, like I just started doing full-time photography for Jason Derulo, you know? And it was just like, wow, like that's crazy. Like I just met you from Instagram two years ago. Uh, we're, we're just hanging out, shooting photos at World Trade before all the ads were there and it's mm-hmm. just all white. Yeah, and now you're doing this and on tour with this guy. It's like insane, right? So, um, kind of like that stacking thing. Like it's just like it started with just even um, some photographers and creators that were just in the area mm-hmm. or traveling and um, meeting, meeting, growing, and then those relationships. Everybody ended up doing really cool things. That sounds That's really crazy. exciting yeah. when you when you see that someone that is established in the industry and they look at your i guess your design and 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 get excited about it enough to say yeah i do want to wear it and yeah i want to give this a shot yeah that that must be euphoric i think one of the best feelings is definitely seeing people with my designs like it's definitely something where um it's like because when when i design at least it's very personal it's very like hey like this is what i would wear or i i would see somebody wearing and um every time that somebody buys something it's like wow like they believe in the same thing as me, right? Like I spent all this time on the computer, like just sketching and um, creating the concept and uh, creating the the idea for the season. And it's like, wow, like this person gets it and they're buying something and this means something enough where they're willing to purchase it and wear it and um, like tag us and all of that, right? So it, it's something very special where it's almost like a, I guess like in almost every creative field, it's like somebody like if you're if you're like a movie producer and you know somebody's going to go watch your movie or um, if you're an artist and somebody's going to your concert or just downloading your album. Um, but I think for clothing, it's like uh, it's it's a similar journey, but just a little bit more a uh, little bit more lengthy and, and sometimes more expensive sometimes. Yeah. Right. <laughs> yeah. You said something which I found fascinating. You don't follow the typical old school model with your clothing brand in terms of the um, releasing by mm. seasons. I, I think a part of me is also like very, is always very conscious of like how much we produce. And I think of it like, um, you know, you're buying stuff that uh, is to last and it's timeless, right? So it's like, if what, even if you continue to buy every season, you're buying things that will be there forever. And um, you can wear two years down the line and you're, um, especially when it comes to denim, you know, like one of the reasons that we're in denim is because it's so timeless and you can wear it forever. Um, and it, it's it's almost like um, design. I think good design is is meant to be uh, worn for a long time or that significant period of time. And it, it's like it would be a waste to just design for a season. You know, it's just right. like such a short period of time. Right. And and especially when you're starting out. Um, I think a lot of people feel the pressure of, hey, like I have to keep up with the seasons. I have to do spring, summer. I have to do fall, winter. Um, oh, I have to be on season for this trade show. And um, I just, I, I think I've always thought of it like, well, whenever I feel these kind of internal pressures, it's actually not internal. It's actually like all this external noise, right? It's all this like, wow, like I have to do this in my life because this is like, but it's not really your blueprint, right? Like it's it's really just like this entire world's uh telling you this is your blueprint of life. Like, oh, like you must follow this season and th- all these things. So whenever I feel that pressure, I'm like, I ask myself, like, is this really uh, my internal voice or is this really uh, the external noise just like telling me things that's like trying to influence it? 
So uh, for me, it was just something like internally, I just knew like, that's not really why I started uh, to make clothing. I started clothing because I, I wanted um, something that would be made forever or timeless in a sense. And it wasn't uh, a pressure of, oh, I'm going to just make fall, winter, spring, summer clothes. It was, um, you know, I, I wanted to, uh, in the simplest way to describe the brand, you know, when I say it's like, uh, we make clothing that makes you feel like a king. It's really something that's uh, timeless and it is forever. Beyond just the clothing aspect of it, I think it translates into personal life. I mean, I, I can't relate to the whole fashion thing. I'm not in yeah. this industry, but just hearing you say that, is that the external noise or is that coming from within? I mean, that's, that, that shit is deep, man. Yeah. That yeah. is deep because I do ponder that a lot. And I mean, we shared a few stories before we were turning on the cameras and I think for the first half of my life, I listened to all the noise around me. And it wasn't until one day I'm sitting down in the office and I'm going, what the hell am I doing? <laughs> yeah. I'm not happy. I, I, I had my bagel here. I had my pizza here on this desk. And, and now it's nighttime. I want to go home, but I can't because I'm not done. And I'm sitting here. My butt hurts from sitting all day. And I'm not happy. I'm, I'm, my eyes hurt because I've been staring at a screen. What am I doing? Would the six-year-old me be happy? Would the 12-year-old me? Would the with the 15-year-old? Like, am I selling out? Or mm. like, why am I not happy right now? And how did I end up here? By listening to all the external noise. Yeah. I mean, I think with anyone that's feeling lost in life, to use that as a compass it's it's so crucial and you're only freaking 23 which that's what blows my mind because a lot of it, it took me 30 years to figure that out and i guess you must have figured it out because you dropped out of college too and yep. we have a similar upbringing where uh you know we both come from immigrant fujinese uh parents and that's dropping out of school is <laughs> it's, it's not a death it. sentence. to go against that and have the a parent support that's unexpected yeah, I think there's um, there's something there's something in terms of though I, I feel like even in Asian parents where um, they just want what's you know especially Asian parents they want what's best for you but they you know it's their belief of what's best for you right it's it's also like their context like and and for a lot of Asian uh, parents they don't necessarily have a context of if fashion will make money especially if they're like let's say a seamstress you know or like uh, they they've come from like the factory back end and they're like well factories barely make money and um, right where, where where each piece that they knit or so put together like they get a few cents per yeah, piece yeah yeah so they i think their the context is like you know the, their points of reference of success or their role models of what they believe success is is maybe that doctor or that uh, lawyer right in in a so-and-so's family or something like that and um when they see uh this form of success, that's when they're like, hey, like this is what my son should do or this is what my daughter should do. So uh, having more role models or like people that are kind of uh, their point of context for that success, I think helps influence that tremendously. Um, I think also though, once they feel like and can see kind of the sense of, wow, like you're not just gonna give up on this after a year, right? Um, or and I think they're like just, this is not a phase for you. Then yeah, you know, it was the real deal, Holyfield. Yeah. So I think for me, it was just like they they just saw me going at it every single day, nonstop, to the point where they're like, okay, like 
he's not gonna do school he's not he's like this is what he wants to do and like he's so serious about this like it's nothing like we say is gonna stop this and and uh and you know uh he's not exactly out here selling drugs right, <laughs> right. it could be worse could, could be, be a lot worse. worse yeah right um so he they i think it, it stuck out to them and and um i think also like when when i got to a certain point i, I just started um really thinking of it um like where where i started expressing and communicating it to them more like this is what i i want to do and and this is um these are like the the goals and like how i'm gonna get there right and and uh i think that communication really opened up uh a different path uh for me you know because they understood like okay like you're actively trying to find a way and not sitting there you're not all talk you're actually showing a proof of concept yeah and that's interesting because a lot of people uh they do that route and they feel like they have it mapped out in their heads Mm. but i but i think what you said there was communication i mean in our lives and our relationships whether it's uh within our families or our friends or our relationships it's very important that we help educate someone to understand our pl- uh, plan because their intention may not be the best for us so yeah. we kind of have to put it back on them and explain to them why this does work especially when you know if your parents like immigrant parents they've been working their entire lives yeah so they don't know the concept of actually owning something and working you know at it um but if they had that reference then they could fully understand like if you're trying to explain to them but if I said, like, I tell, I tell my parents, like, you know, I want to be a filmmaker. And they say, that's not going to work. They don't know any, like, Asian filmmakers, except yeah. from people yeah. from Hong Kong, you know, in China. Yeah. They don't know a- any Asian filmmakers in the U.S. So they don't, they don't really have a point of reference. So I, I kind of understand where they're yeah. coming from. They don't know what's possible. Yeah. You know, especially, like, uh, if, you know, for my parents and stuff, they, they, um, they, they're running a restaurant, right? And they're working super hard. So, and they're taking all this risk. Like, they're, they're um starting their own business and of course they're they're entrepreneurial in a sense of like this this is for a better life and um but their, their point of context of that is just the restaurant so if uh, you know if you tell them today like if i told them today hey i'm gonna go start a restaurant they're like why would you do that <laughs> you know right um and you know just because of their context of, of their life story right and and um they don't have that life story of somebody that maybe had um at scale like 15 restaurants, 30 restaurants, right? And if they did, then maybe they would be like, yeah, like, let's start 15 restaurants, you know? And um, so uh, for me, I I think I had to find those early reference points for myself. And then um, as they, and then I had to, I had to put myself up to that standard where it was like, hey, like, this is what you want me to do, but I'm going to be able to do the same, um, if not more, and what, if not more, and show them that there's an unlimited upside in what I'm doing, um, and and it is for the long term, and not just something that I'm going to quit, you know, um, on. And I think most parents, like once they realize you're not going to quit on it, they're just like, okay, you know, I have no just, choice but to support yeah, you. Yeah, yeah. That's that's I, I don't know. I just find that like very inspiring to hear. And I, I do think times are changing. I, yeah. I mean, my parents, if I told them I were opening up a restaurant, they and my dad did the restaurant business thing too, as you know. And he would tell me, like, you're absolutely crazy. <laughs> yeah, yeah, Why yeah. would you put yourself through that? It's a tough, and especially yeah. now. And I want to touch on that. Uh, I want to talk about the elephant in the room. Yeah. I mean, COVID, uh, it's, it's not an easy time for anyone in the service industry, entertainment mm-hmm. industry. 
Uh, you see Broadway, I mean, right up the block. Broadway, yeah. all those plays all all shut down. Restaurants are closed. Uh, outdoor seating, but it's cold right now, so good luck with that. Yeah. And in the garment district, there's so many people here that I, I my friends and um, people that I used to work with, are, they're no longer here. They've been replaced with hotels, we yeah. work buildings. I mean, the garment district is certainly changing. Yeah. And now you throw COVID on top of all that. I mean, how challenging has this time frame been to kind of grow your business and, and keep things afloat during these tough times for the fashion industry in particular? So I was very lucky in the sense of I had a, um, I, I think I built up a, a support structure of, of friends and, and people around me. And, um, and I kind of saw the early signs of this happening. So I saw, you know, China shutting down really early on. And, um, the, and then I just saw like from January, the, January, they started shutting down already. Um, and then Chinese New Year happens and March just so shut down. Right, so, we had the extended closures last year in Chinese New Year. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So I think like seeing um, what my factories in China was going through, I, I was already like, I, I was already um, kind of aware like, wow, this is going to be a huge impact, you know, it, um, and I, nobody, of course, could really predict like, hey, like, is, um, is this going to happen? Like, are the shutdowns going to happen in the U.S.? Is it going to be as bad? Um, but I think like just seeing that I was able to anticipate it. And I think, um, you know, it's really important when you're running a business that to not just be in the business, but also be able to anticipate, right? Like I think, uh, anticipation of, of what's next is what keeps you nimble. It's what keeps the business growing. And, you know, if, if you're not growing, you're dying. Right. So it's like, um, that sort of really stuck out to me where I, I'm seeing, you know, it, if you can see one side of the world, something happening, then, you know, it's, it's very likely it may happen over here. So, uh, being aware of that, I think we, we were able to, um, we were able to anticipate that fairly well. And, um, we got super, uh, we, we also, I think with a, uh, I would call it luck, but I think I would actually call it like a very stubborn, um, we had a very stubborn aesthetic. So we had an aesthetic that would always be, um, for the past like two, three years, we've been selling face masks. And it was like, we, we've had cotton face masks on our site and it was kind of like this cool, like futuristic ninja, you know, vibe. And um, I had like vegan Python face masks and things like that. And that was just like, oh wow, like um, this is our style. And at first, you know, during the November, December months, I was just like, oh, it's holiday season. We're selling through more face masks. Great, cool people maybe are adopting to this trend oh you didn't even know it, it wasn't it was pre-covid <laughs> it was pre-covid yeah. it was pre-covid pre so um and then um as this happened and and um you know we had like uh these disposable black masks that you see on our website now like that was actually like when i first went to china like two three years ago i was just buying them you know i was just buying them and wearing them like if you look on my instagram feed now like in 2017 2018 i'm wearing these face masks and it was just part of what my style was um so we had a bunch of stock of this and people were asking me where do, where do you get these masks so i was just giving them out with orders on our site and um and then very quickly it became something where it was like, wow, like this is a very high demand thing, right? Like in March and especially with uh, the cost of disposables and everything going up. I think at one point I saw on eBay and Amazon, it was like three to six dollars of a single disposable mask. That's crazy. Yeah, it was super crazy. So we were like, well, like, yeah, like this is um, and I think in times of like uh, I would say like I would say like tough or like 
rough times you try to figure out like hey like how, how do you do more for others and like others may ever do for you in a sense like how do you deliver more value right and um for me it started with just like sending these masks to customers in, in the february months um then it became like um okay like let's do like a um let's just give out like uh, as many as possible but that caught on so fast that we're like well this is not actually possible because we're a small business just give out all these masks and um at one point i was I remember just ordering masks that were like 90 cents, uh, 95 cents, 90 cents a unit on cost average for a disposable. So uh, we set the price at basically a dollar in case that it jumps up. Um, of course, though, like what, what really happened in, in a sense was like, hey, like we we um, picked up so much traction for this. Right. And then from that traction, we were like, whoa, like now we're purchasing bigger quantities. And then as COVID is going down, um, it just was like um, it, it just it just kept uh, so we were like, oh, like, okay, now it's like 80 cents. And, and then that's when we were like, okay, well, that gives us some room to actually um, donate some of the mass, right? So we were able to start donating and we, we donated about, um, I think we're 25,000 on track to do 50K by the end of the year and um, in donations of mass. And we were like, um, and I think from there, we kind of just saw like, this demand is still there. There's such a shortage, right? And in, in this, and and I just saw like really cheap masks. Honestly, I saw like um, I saw like three plies that were like super super cheap, and um, the the quality was just not there. I saw like really disturbing stuff. We we've even yeah. ordered batches, you know, that For had sure. like I saw a bug in in like a batch that we ordered from like a random third party vendor one time, and we just rejected it. Yeah. Um, so we're like, this is a problem, right? And. And um, I, I've been in like manufacturing and, and uh, import export beforehand. And, you know, we were supplying, um, I had extra masks that I was actually sending to China um, to my factories. And then when it, it became reversed, they were like, hey, like, do you need masks? Right. They were like, yes, we right. do need masks. <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> yeah. So, um, you know, it was always like looking out for like that, um, uh, the people around us. And then it became like a, a reverse, you know, mm-hmm. and um, that was really important, especially because our, our business and that definitely helped sustain your business during this time. Yeah, we, our business dropped like 90 percent during COVID, you know, and, um, and not just across like just a Kings, but like also just in like manufacturing and, and things like that, too. So it, it was definitely like a huge hit. And and not, the other 10 percent was like late vendoring vendors paying, you know, right, <laughs> so right. and that's yeah, it was a major shutdown in China. Yeah. And it was impossible to get any anything out at, at one point. And then super hard. when you could, you were limited. Yeah. So it was super limited, like you were saying earlier earlier um before we got on it was like uh i think it was like 100 kgs a day um there's like one plane going up sometimes a day for certain regions um the warehouses were overloaded right and um we were just like well like this is something that we can help with and um i I think during like times like that it's like some people uh can can just you know sit at home and uh eat cheetos in a sense and just be like hey like i'm gonna wait till the world recovers um but for me it's just like it's like uh what we're doing is like a part of my life it's so deep into my life where it's like uh i cannot just sit there i i, I tried you can't be idle i can't be idle so i was like man like, i gotta do something i um even if it's like there's like even if it's just like um not fashion like mm-hmm. in a sense immediately um but it just so happened like it just lined up so weirdly in a good way for me because we had a medical pop-up um, the quarter four of last year. So it was like, I think in November, we we got this Brabus uh, G-Wagon and we made it into an ambulance truck and we had like a medical pop-up on Allen Street. And um, we were like, man, like how cool would it be to make masks? And we looked into it literally the, right before COVID and it was like, man, um, the minimum was so freaking high to make like your own mask. So 
it was just like, oh, I guess like this is not gonna happen. Let's just make pill containers with MMs in them, with custom MMs in them, right? And um, so I, I always was like, oh, like what is the silver lining in this? Like, what's beautiful about this moment, right? And I was like, wow, like now there's such a huge demand that I can actually make my own mask. What inspired that? Was it like any Naruto or any ninja? Your mask yeah. and Akeem is right there as soon as you open the door, yeah, uh, right behind me. And I was like, holy shit, man, it's not, it looks nice. And I yeah. what went through my mind, I was like, number one, is it functional? And number two, because <laughs> usually, usually it's you, with fashion or, or luxury, yeah. high fashion, um, it's usually uh, style over comfort mm. and functionality. Yeah. I think I designed for function uh, a lot of the times because, you know, like for me, you know, I, I, I'm very aware of our costs, like our, like what our retail price is and like, I, I just feel like it'd be a waste if it wasn't functional, right? And, um, but I I will say though, like in, in the beginning, you know, it definitely was like, hey, this is a cool vegan Python mass or like a, a Python mass. Like it's not really, like there was no like, hey, like let's go stop stars with this mass. Um, because this is two, three years ago. There's no context for like, is SARS serious, especially over here versus Hong Kong. So um, it, it started as an aesthetic thing. And um, I, I think now uh, more than ever, people are really conscious of like the value of things and like how long this will be used. Right. So, so now I think it's, it's kind of considering like, Hey, like if you're going to wear a disposable, but you don't want to wear a blue disposable or even a black disposable and you want to um, still look good. Right. Like uh, I think your wife was saying like, you have to up your mask game. Yeah. Like, it, it's yes. like the, the, this is a way to up your mask game and it's mm. a reasonable cover. Right. Cause the whole outfit yeah. be right. Yeah. yeah. And then you wear the traditional, <laughs> yeah. Uh, disposable mask it, the way it was explained to me and the way I took it was like alright I get it. I mean it wasn't on my radar because this mask thing is still yeah. very fresh I just feel like you know I, I'm not thinking about style I'm thinking about number one comfort and, and if it works and if it works I'm good um, functionality so, but then I did when that that kind of just shattered my whole concept of it. I'm like, wait a minute! I started looking at it like shoes, <laughs> yeah. like you know, you can have a great suit on, and if you're wearing the wrong shoes for the suit, it just yeah. totally throws off the whole outfit. Yeah. So that's why she was like, you gotta step your mask game up. Yeah. And I, was, I totally got it. Yeah. I like to say I was ahead of the curve because when I was in Hong Kong, everyone was wearing a mask just yeah. for functionality, just for uh, safety, health reasons. And then I thought to myself, it would be cool if they actually made something like a mask for fashion because at that time, I didn't know that that was a thing. And this was like last year, uh, two years ago. And, and I, I went to Bathing Ape and I went yeah. inside and I was like, well, this mask is cool with the, with the teeth yeah. and the, you know, the graffiti, the design. I, I want to pick it up. And that's how I got into it. I was like, it wasn't really like I bought it for functionality, but then I now I had it. I had something to cover my mouth with, like during COVID. So how do you move on from here? I think we're still adapting. You know, like I think as a, the one advantage that we have is is we're able to be very nimble, especially as a smaller company, right? Then, um, so for me, I think when you know there, there's kind of different phases, especially. Uh, a lot of people that are going through this, right? There, there's that phase where maybe you you can very easily sink into the depression, and you're like, man, like this is what's happening. Why is this happening, right? Um, and you, play that victim mindset. You can definitely let very the anxiety control you. Yeah, yeah. And I think like everybody goes through that phase, but what's really important is like once you get through that phase, and and you you have to come through a phase of acceptance. You have to kind of accept like, hey, this is what's going on, and this is this is uh you know, and some people take that acceptance uh, a lot earlier than others. You know, some. Uh, there's, um, and, and hopefully they do, because I think once you get past that and you go into acceptance, you get to this phase where you, um, start thinking of like, okay, like let's create, 
you know like and, and i think the most beautiful part is like there is a lot of creation going on right now as much as there's you know all these businesses shutting down like all these uh, old companies that are like bankrupt and and turning over and companies cutting losses like a lot of these uh new companies and especially our company we're thinking about like what's next and what's uh what are we going to create what are we bringing to this world and um i think creation is what is is progress right it's what moves the world forward and and it's also productivity and you know we definitely need as much creation as possible right now um and and i think when you get to that creation part right you're no longer thinking of the depression or, or like that victim mindset and you're no longer you you've already accepted this but now you're like hey like i need to move forward and um for me that creation has been like um thinking about the uh health definitely health a lot more so you know i i've been uh you know, I, I kind of went through that period of similar to what you're saying, but um, uh, for your corporate job and you sitting on that desk, but I was like, man, like, is this what I thought my body would be at, at 23? Like, you know, like, <laughs> no, like my 15 year old me would not be proud of this body. <laughs> and, um, you know, and, and I think it's it's really important to always like remeasure and figure out, you know, the, what points of uh, yeah. your life you want to really work on. And, and um, so I, I, I've been, because I have been going to the gym a lot more, I'm like, man, you know what? I need to make some gym wear. I need to make active wear. I need to do, um, you know, I need to do something that also is uh, for this new lifestyle that I've, I've adapted into mine. And, um, and, and, and surprisingly, a lot of people have been messaging me like, hey, like, when is this dropping? When is this releasing? Yeah, I think you know? that's a fantastic yeah. idea. I think, <laughs> I think leisure wear is a huge market. Yeah. Huge market. I mean, I mean, back then it was taboo to just wear i mean you and i are kind of wearing sweatpants ish yeah cargo and uh back then it was taboo to wear it as a mm. you know it's comfortable man i love yeah. i love it and it's fashionable now so it, it's something that I, I like to mix and it's versatile you can mix it with mm. so many different type of textures it's, it's forgiving in the yeah. sense of style so i mean i i think going into a, a lot of people are looking for that perfect marriage between fashion and comfort mm, yeah right? they don't want to sacrifice one or the other you know you don't want to be comfortable but look like a slob yeah right and but you don't want to look awesome but be uncomfortable for the whole day yeah so finding that perfect marriage i think is key so yeah at least you're where the market i believe it's gone up yeah. like tremendously yeah I, I basically see almost every major brand has moved into it or looking into it I, I think i'm planning so i'm prototyping some stuff right now and i think we should have like the initial spring summer like kind of like uh initial samples and maybe like a soft launch um i have an idea for the soft launch and we're gonna uh so i how I usually do it i like to test i always like to test first so uh the soft launch would probably be you know like uh much smaller current audience and and uh, seeing how how does it perform, you know? And we did this with our denim too when we first launched, where it was like, um, hey, like let's see how, the wear and tear on this denim. Like, how is this is this really gonna last uh, somebody? And we did like soft tests uh, with a bunch of random people, uh, customers, friends, and family. And um, I think we're gonna do something very similar, um, but maybe uh, definitely on a slightly larger scale than before because we have a, a slightly larger platform now, you know. So I think. Um, we're going to try to shoot for spring summer but of course you know like um i actually don't really rush uh, a lot of things so if right now i'm just doing personal samples testing it and then maybe a few others for like friends and family to test um and then we'll see but i think most likely like by summer we should have it there's a lot of attention to detail and planning to go in to pursue something that you're passionate about and and monetizing it that middle story that that 
you know the ups and downs. Man, I think that uh, there's definitely a lot of failures or lessons learned in a sense of um, uh, failures being in terms of like I think um, uh, early on we we didn't do as much testing and and um, I think you can fall in love with your products really easily and you don't really uh, but who you really need to fall in love with is more your customer. You know, it's not like like when you make a product, right? It's like or a company or your service or whatever you're selling, you're like, man, like this is, this is my baby, right? And, um, you know, nobody thinks their baby is ugly, right? So it's like- Facts. <laughs> yeah, so it could be the ugliest thing in the world, but like, you're like, man, like this is my baby. Like it's, it's like most beautiful, most gorgeous, handsome baby there is. And um, I think one of the biggest lessons for me was that I definitely had a couple of designs that I, I, you know, looking back, I'm like, man, like those are definitely those babies where I thought we're super handsome and maybe we're not mm-hmm. it. <laughs> and, um, and, and I was so confident on it and I bet on them. And, um, and, and when you, uh, bet on those things and, and, uh, you know, I could be wrong too. Maybe we didn't bring it to market fast enough. Maybe we didn't get enough eyeballs on it. Uh, we didn't get the right target audience on it. Um, and all these other factors, but I think for me, um, there was definitely times where I was like, man, like maybe I could have tested this and, and, um, uh, or I could have failed faster. You know, maybe I could have, uh, tested this known right away and moved a little, pivoted a little bit more like, okay, like this is not working. Let's try something else. Uh, instead of being so stubborn on it, like, okay, like this is still my baby. Mm. I'm going to grow, grow, grow. And, um, did you, did you, did you ever find yeah. success with something where you thought, it was a failure and you go, maybe if I just did a little tweak here or put it out to a different market or or try a different strategy in release. Did you ever try that? And then yeah. and then, did you find a different result or was it the same? Uh, so I think there's always like a two millimeter difference, right? There's always like a small tweak that you can do for, for some things and um, you can learn like, like maybe it's a different target market or maybe it's like uh, a different... Um, idea like maybe there's like a different uh angle that you're not seeing right now that somebody else needs to see but um that's usually people are blinded by the product you know they're like hey like this is this is my idea like this is for this uh, target consumer right and um uh they don't see that other consumer so um, I think it took an evolution process and a growth process for me to even think of those things you know in the beginning it was definitely like very like, hey, this is what I want to make, and that's it. And um, and then uh, now it's, it's there's a little bit more tweaking and there's a little bit more testing um, that goes into that thought process. And um, there's uh, I think it it's comes with you learning and adjusting, right? And in the beginning, though, it's not something that everybody picks up on, and and I wouldn't expect anybody to come out of the gate just knowing that. Right? Is there is there something that you know? things that you can let the audience know like to identify mm-hmm. um because i know like when when, when you're creating something yeah. like even with film and stuff like that the final product that we we show the audience it's it's to the to the public it's not it's not the first vision uh, vision it's not the first version no there's so yeah. many edits I mean, honestly, along the way like, we made a horror film we probably had like 20 divisions on it it yeah. was crazy but yeah, how do you identify like, okay, we know, we understand, okay, this is not something's working. So how do we, you know, how do we tweak it? Mm. So I think you have to be like one really open to tweaking it, right? Like, mm. so for me, it's always like, uh, if you think about a movie, like this is, the, this is the ending of the movie, right? Like what is your ending of the movie? Um, you know that this is your ending. Like if it's going to be like you start this brand, 
um, or you start this company and, and um, this is what uh, you want to do and this is what fulfills you or whatever it is that ending is, um, you need to know um, that your plot can change, right? And you need to be open to that plot because if you believe that you're, you know, like this plot is always going to be the same and it must be this way, you're never going to, you know, you're never really going to get to your ending, right? Like if you believe like this scary movie or this horror film that you're making, it must be shot in this way and this way only, the chances are it may never actually uh, happen because there's so many things that come up along the way and um, being flexible to the plot changing um, is something that some people are really difficult at accepting, you know, and, and the sooner that you know that you have to flow and figure out those changes and small things along the way, I think the sooner that you'll, um, you know, start realizing like everything's just happening, you know, everything's right, it's meant to move in this direction, not that because yeah. of what's available, but how do you know when to walk away from it then? Mm-hmm. Like, you know what, this is not working. Yeah. I need to walk away, like abandon ship. And after all the hard work and, and falling in love with it, mm. to walk away. How, how do you know? What, what are some of those signs? I think for me, I, I, ask, like, I ask myself, like, what fulfills me? Like, what, um, if I was to die, if I was to die tomorrow, or like, hey, like, if I'm going to die in, uh, when I'm 80, or like, there's a rocking chair, chair concept, actually, which is kind of like, hey, like, if I'm 80 years old, and I'm in this rocking chair, like, will I regret not doing this right and and i live uh, i make a lot of decisions off of that concept and and for me like i think walking away would probably be one of those things i would ask myself like hey if i'm 80 years old and i walk away from what i'm doing right now this moment will i regret it and if that answer is yes like even the slight slight yes like faintly like oh like i probably would then i'm just like oh i'm i'm gonna stay right but if that answer is like oh i wouldn't regret it like fuck it i'm starting something new um I have so much more, uh, there's another chapter in my life, then I would walk away from it, you know? Right. I mean, there's so many people. Yeah. You know, I, I, you are definitely in the minority in terms of the way you think and the way you follow up with how you think, right? A lot of people may think in that way, but won't be able to move in that direction. They'll be stuck in the analyzing phase. Right, where they're in a fork in the world and they're weighing the pros and cons and, and regrets or what, whatever moves them. It's either love or fear, right? And I find, I see that you, you seem to move more towards self-love, right? Where a lot of others would move towards fear. They move, they make the decision based on what will hurt less. Mm. They run away from the fear. Right, rather than running towards love, they run away, then, and that'll base the decisions for most of life. That's why most of us end up playing it safe, right? Yeah. So that's why I found it so fascinating to to when Norm brought you t- in front of me, and and he told me your story and how young you were and and, and looked at everything you did. I was just like, this is incredible. I, w- I want to know. I, w- I kind of want to pick your brain and 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 what kind of nurture that? Like, why why do you move towards love? instead of running away from fear and how you base your decision making. Yeah, so I think for me, you know, all of the uh, experiences that I've had in my life, I've realized that um, uncertainty of, or, you know, this, uh, this fear that comes from this uncertainty of, you know, what's going to happen next is really where I grow and where um, 
other people tend to grow as well, right? So, uh, you know, when you ask yourself like, hey, like, um, why do I, why am I leaning towards um, college or this job versus dropping out or quitting this job and pursuing what I want to do? Uh, a lot of that tends to be the answer of um, comfort or, you know, hey, this is, this is what I know, right? And it's a, a sense of certainty of this is what's going to happen for me. And um, what I really realized um, is in the sense of uncertainty, you know, and I go into an example where I just went skydiving last week and I just remember, you know, this this deep sense of like nervousness, like what the fuck did I just sign up to? Um, I'm signing all these, initially all these forms, like, oh man, like initial here, initial here, you may die. Uh, (laughs) Playing in the background, like, oh, like, you know, this is not, uh, this is not, oh, no skydiver is 100% safe. Uh, No parachute is 100% safe. I think for me though, like in in those sense of uncertainty, right? I try to stack uh, certainty. I try to find uh, those things that will make grow my confidence in what I'm I'm headed into, right? So uh, in that moment of skydiving, I just saw everybody that was jumping. I saw them landing and I was like, wow, like everybody's landing, nobody's breaking their legs. And I'm hearing, I'm like, what am I really hearing? What am I really hearing? And I'm hearing these skydivers, uh, uh, the professional tandem jumpers. And they're like, hey, you know, I do like 15 jumps a day. Um, I do about 3,500. Everybody here does about 2,500 to 3,500 jumps in a year minimum before they even do tandem jumps with you. I was like, wow. So these guys are doing 10 to 15 jumps a day. Their legs are still fine. <laughs> Nothing's crazy has happened to them. They're not, you know. They're not limping. They're not limping, right? And so, uh, you know, uh, people say success leaves clues. And for me, I was like, wow, like this is very successful in, in skydiving. You've not broken any legs. You're perfectly fine. I, I can model after you, right? And I always look for those things. I look like, who do I model after? Like, who, like, what are they successful in? Like, what made them successful? And like, how do I model after them? So for me, I was like, okay, like I found my role model for this skydiving incident. And um, during during the skydiving, uh, you know, uh, people say like, hey, like nervousness and excitement is just two degrees apart, right? Like when you feel nervous and when you feel excitement, it's really the same feeling. It's like that same stomach. They're cousins. Yeah, they're like the same thing. It's but like you just uh, have madness to, and genius. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. You just have to make that little shift, right? So I tried to, didn't really work. I tried to make it like, oh, I'm excited for what's going to come. Even though I'm like, what the fuck? I'm about to jump out this plane. And um, I'm going up, I'm going up. And, and I just remember once I get there and, and you know, it's, it's like, okay, I'm 10,000 feet in the air. I got to do it. I'm just looking at, the, I'm at the edge of the plane. I got to do it. So when they say three, two, and then just boom, like, I'm out of the plane and I'm, I'm suddenly upside down looking at the plane. I'm like, oh, fuck, I really just jumped out of this plane. And, and as I recorrect and I'm, I'm facing the, um, the ground and, and uh, I'm freaking out a little bit still, I'm in panic, right? Like, and it's kind of like when you jump and make that first move uh, when you're uncertain about something and you're, you you're going to have that sense of panic or you're going to have that sense of, oh, fuck, what did I just get myself into if you quit your job or leave school? And for me, what I realized though was like, hey, like, you know what, a couple seconds later, um, the parachute opens, you know, once the chute opens, right, there's this sense of just uh, not necessarily stillness, but it, it jerks you back up. And then you're like, wow, this is the moment. This is what's happening. And in that moment, I was so present and I just looked at everything and I was like, wow, like, um, you know what, like, this is what it is. And I started appreciating everything. And uh, in, in that sense, uh, when I jumped, that uncertainty and all of those 
like like that nervousness that was building up in me i was like wow like i did it i already made the first jump right um it's the the hardest part is already over and now there's a sense of appreciation so i think a, a lot of that um understanding of like you know any time I'm uncertain, the moment I do it, there's going to be that sense of panic or that sense of like, what the fuck did I just get myself into sometimes? But you know, the shoot is always going to open, right? And you know, like, there's just a sense of faith in you as a person that I've developed and, and, and kind of like come to realize like there's there, that in that moment, you're, the shoot opens and you just appreciate the process and you're like, wow, like this is happening. I'm falling. Um, I'm going to land. And, and for me, that's in, any part of life's journey where it's like, wow, like the shoot is going to open and then I'm going to appreciate the whole process before I land and to wherever I'm trying to get to. Right. And that landing was like, I just knew that landing was going to be so soft and it was so, so strange to say, because, you know, you're falling 10,000 feet and as I'm getting closer to the ground and the guy's like, Hey, we're going to fall on our butt, like lift your legs up. I'm like, huh, like this is going to be a really soft landing. And I was like, wow, like, you know, that sense of, um, faith and appreciation for that whole process was was just certainty and stacking you know it was that that whole mind mentality like from the moment where i was like hey success leaves clues these people are landing and all these and uh this this tandem jumpers jump so many times before me i I look at that in in all the things that i'm uncertain of in life whether it's like starting a new venture like uh, trying something new like who did it before me like there's got to be examples or role models right like it's not like i'm reinventing the wheel um and and even if it's not necessarily the same thing there's got to be um different moments in everybody's lives that you can find connections to. And I always try to find those connections and bridge them together. Right. And, um, I I think that sense of, uh, I think that, so like, I think faith for me is one thing that definitely drives why I move towards, uh, love, uh, over comfort. I think the other thing is there's a, there's a side of me that I think about, you know, when people say that, um, how you play games is how you play life. It's really like when I, I remember just growing up playing games and I always was like, I'm going to win. Like I knew the end goal was I'm going to win this game. Right. And, and, um, for me that, that was just a, almost like a sense of faith. It was a sense of confidence. Like, and, and, you know, when you play games and you win, it could be the easiest game, but then you're stacking confidence. Right. So I always just kept stacking that. 